inspired by Justin King and the media team's most recent video of Beamer last week. Mmm. What a great opening song. Happy, you're probably listening to this on Friday. So happy Friday to you all. For you all that are watching the live show, welcome. Welcome to episode 61 of Cox by 90. I am your host, show me your TDs. We're back, baby. We're going bowling and we're back. It's great to be on the live. If you're watching right now, we've got the comments and questions section right here. If you're watching along on Twitter, on Facebook, YouTube, whatever you're watching, shoot us a comment and we'll be sure to answer it. I'm actually editing the privacy now so you can, boom, on Facebook now I can actually see the comments. So, last time... We were all together. Some of us were together ooh, roughly two weeks ago in williams Bryce Stadium on what capped the first regular season under Shane Beamer. It was a cold night. It was a dark night. Ugh. I have tried to wipe that game from the memory bank. And how I did that was this past weekend, I went on a golf trip. This is a golf trip we put on called the Muns, and I won it. And it helped me erase everything. It was at Fripp Island. It was a nice, beautiful past weekend. But that golf trip helped me erase all those bad memories that we had two weeks ago because that was the most – How about, let's say this, that was the biggest letdown I've seen from a Gamecocks program in any sport in a long, long time. But wait, there's more. That was the biggest letdown until I saw our basketball team go up to Coastal Carolina and get beat by 20-plus against the Chanticleers. Taking our attention back to that ugly, ugly performance against the Upstate team, I called a win. I thought we'd win that game. I I truly believed that with the crowd momentum, with everything that we had going on, all the positive momentum, that we could do it. Unfortunately, I think, and this is just kind of how I feel, We might have been not ready for the moment. And I hate saying that, but the stadium was packed. 80,000 screaming cock fans. It was Spurrier-esque. The game day traffic leading up to the tailgate slots was Spurrier-esque. The crowd before the game, Spurrier-esque. The Gamecock walk... Spurrier-esque. Everything leading up to kickoff, Spurrier-esque. But the only thing that wasn't Spurrier-esque, and you're probably like, show me your TD, shut up about Spurrier-esque right now. But I'm going to tell you this. 
The only thing that wasn't Spurrier-esque is how we performed on the offensive side of the football. I think our defense just got worn down. Our offense wasn't doing anything to help just even give them some life. Give them some life in the fact that you give up the early touchdown, you go three and out, and you really don't have a chance to make some in-game adjustments. You're really just going on the fly because the offense isn't sustaining any drives. It was ugly. And you and you all probably are like, well, shoot, I had forgot about the game. Don't talk about it too much. I think it is something to point out. Hey, we got our tails whooped. We are still in now the closing parts of year one under Shane Beamer. And I think that when you look back at the totality of the season and everything that we were able to accomplish, beating Florida, beating Auburn, it was a win. It was a win in year one for Shane Beamer. Six and six is a win. But the way we ended it definitely left a sour taste in people's mouths. One thing that really, like, it kept me up. It kept me up that night. It kept me up Sunday night. We had the opportunity because I saw so many people tailgating before the games that I hadn't seen in a long time that were just excited about Gamecock football again. They hadn't been to a game in four or five years. They were there because they believed in Beamer and our team. I don't think that we – I don't – it's a hard way to put this, but – we lost, if you look at opportunity costs, and you go to the Darla Moore School of Business, opportunity costs that we had that Saturday night, when you have a sold-out Williams-Brice Stadium, when you have fans back into Williams-Brice that hadn't been there in years, you had an opportunity to potentially get some of those season ticket holders back that left during Muschamp. There was just a lot on the line outside of winning and losing a football game. And I think that's what keeps me up or kept me up was the idea that, man, if somehow, some way we willed that victory over the team from the upstate, not only do we get to seven and five on the season, not only do we break the streak, but everybody in that sold out stadium potentially could be donating more money. You know, they've released this new Garnet Trust. So, shoot, you probably got some bigger donors getting money funneling into that. You're selling more season tickets. There's just a lot of wins outside of the football field that could have happened had you won that game. Now, do I think that we lost season ticket holders because of that game? No. I just think the opportunity cost of what we had to potentially – go into 2022 on a high note from, I mean, shoot, we played well at home this year. It just took a little bit of the out of the special season. So looking back on the season, I have my predictions right here in front of me, right there, all highlighted. So I had six and six on the season. I felt really confident that we should, could get to six wins Based on how the schedule, the schedule laid out pretty, let's say, friendly for the Gamecocks to get some confidence out of the gate, which is what we did. So Eastern Illinois, golly, where was that offense? 40-something-plus points, defensive touchdown by Birch. Take me back to that game. That was a blast. East Carolina, 
Got the W. That was a trap game. That was one I think Vegas thought we'd lose. And East Carolina went on to be a 7-5 and five football team. They were a good football team. I saw Mike Houston got an extension too as well, so congratulations to him. But we went and squeaked out a W at East Carolina. W's, when you look back and you go on Wikipedia in 2030 and you're saying, what did the Gamecocks do in 2021? You're just looking at wins and losses. You're not looking at how much they won by. So who cares? And then Georgia, shoot, we ended up scoring the second most points against them all year. An offensive output that at the time you were like, I wish we could have done more, but hey, looking back, it wasn't that bad. I had us going two and one there. We went two and one. Kentucky, Troy, and Tennessee were the next three games. I had us going two and one here. I felt really good about that Kentucky game. We lose by six points. We don't cover the spread. The spread was five and a half. That crushed a lot of betters like myself. Troy game, we knew Troy was going to be tough. Troy ended up being another 7-5 and five football team, I believe. Beat them by nine, covered the spread there. At Tennessee, this will be one of the games we all look back and say, where were you when you watched that awful output? I know where I was at. I was in Myrtle Beach at a bachelor party. We all were gathered up in the room right there at noon, ready to watch our cocks kick Tennessee's tail. And sure enough, into the first quarter, 28 to nothing, volunteers. That was ugly. I had that as a loss to start the season, and I kept it when we did our predictions. I didn't feel good about Tennessee's matchup. Going into the season, I thought our cornerbacks and defensive secondary would be a weak point. It turned out to be that they did hit some of those big shots, and we just our offense lost all the momentum when Birch threw the interception in the end zone. I don't want to rehash that, but looking back there, had us going two and one, we went one and two. I think that's where you could look back and say coulda, woulda, shoulda. That's where you get to seven wins right there. And there's also another three-game stretch. Vanderbilt, Texas A&M, and Florida. I had us at one and two during this stretch. We beat Vanderbilt. We'll all never forget the Zeb Nolan drive. I mean, literally, that drive will be etched in stone for about another couple months until he goes back onto the coaching staff. But incredible drive. We win that football game. Texas A&M, we just can't we can't play with the big boys right now. Unfortunately, that was a butt whipping. The punt return killed us. And then Florida, that's where I remember sitting right here in this chair. Sir Big Spur was sitting over there. And I remember saying to everybody, Florida playing that cocktail party the week before, us coming off of a bye, that set up really well for us to play a competitive football game. Not only did we play a competitive football game, but we whooped that Florida tail. That sprung the momentum for the last three games. You just had to get one win to go bowling. And at that point, you're sitting there at five and four saying, huh, seven wins doesn't look out of the question. Does eight even become a possibility at that point? Whoo. That would have sent season tickets skyrocketing. But what happened We lost a game at Missouri where we had an early lead. Unfortunately, a turnover early in their red zone cost us what should have been a two, at least a two score lead. And we never were able to gain the momentum. We made it a three point game 
going, what, with five minutes left in the game. Unfortunately, defense couldn't stop them. That was one we wish we could have back because Missouri was not a good football team this year. The Auburn game had that as a W. I felt really good that somehow, some way, the man above our team on the field, Beamer, was going to find a way against Mike Bobo. We got that W. That was one of the best games I've been to in a long time at Williams-Brice Stadium. The atmosphere, the camaraderie, the high fives, the yelling, the game, cocks, everything about it made it special. And then the last game against Clemson, we don't want to ever relive that game again. Speaking of Clemson, I don't want to get too much into this, but is there trouble in the hills? They might make a soap opera about this one. Venables to Oklahoma. D-Rat to Miami. Elliott, it sounds like him and Virginia didn't have a good day today while they were talking, but Duke's still on the table. Why is everybody trying to get out of town up there? I thought that's where everybody wants to be. Dabo going to the Raiders? I know I upset some people on Twitter today putting that out there. It's funny how Clemson fans, this is just weird. On Twitter, you say something about them, and I don't care who follows me. It doesn't matter. But they come from out of the woodworks. They literally, I don't know how it happens, but the comments start popping up. It's like they've got a sixth sense that if somebody's talking about their coaches, they're going to be there. They're going to be there to say, no, 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 no. All I said was I think there could be some smoke to Dabo Sweeney and the Raiders. You lose your defensive coordinator. You lose your offensive coordinator. Everybody knows that the Las Vegas Raiders might as well be Clemson of the West with the way they've drafted. I'm just saying I keep an eye out on it. I don't think that it's too much far-fetched that if Dabo were to get a really enticing offer from the Las Vegas Raiders who want to change their perception after John Gruden was there, and you know, things came about from had it happened while he wasn't even the Raiders coach. But why not change the perception of your program with that boy Sweeney that comes in as this golden child to help restore your NFL team? Because he keeps talking about how college football is broken because everybody's getting paid, and while he's getting nine million dollars a year. And then if Tony Elliott seems to not find a job, you just so happen right there for Clemson to have Elliott as your next coach, I don't think that's that far-fetched at all. I really don't. I do not think that that's that far-fetched at all. So we'll see what happens. There could be some trouble in the hills, but I digress. They whooped our ass, and that's all we're going to say about that. So 6-6, six and six, what's next? The Duke's Mayo Bowl in Charlotte, North Carolina. Kickoff slated for 11.30 a.m. Kegs and eggs in Charlotte at Bank of America Stadium against the North Carolina Tar Heels. The last time we were there, three, three years ago, it was the beginning of the end for the Will Muschamp era. Somebody, some people can point to that game and say it's the beginning of the end. I think it was the year before that. At Florida, being up 17 points, blowing that lead, no doubt in my mind, that was the mudslide that ultimately ended that error because you couldn't recover from that. It literally, that was, 
You couldn't recover. You barely – the Akron game was – the Virginia game, talking about Bank of America Stadium, that was ugly. So you've got to get all that out of your head because this isn't the Will Muschamp coach team. This is the Shane Beamer fighting Gamecocks coach team that I know is going to show up in Charlotte and we're taking on a regional opponent who we go directly head-to-head with in recruiting, and we're going to give them our best effort. It sounds like Sam Howell's playing, so shoot, we're going to get their best shot. I like people, or I like beating teams when they're at their best because that's going to show you the measuring stick of where your program really is at as you close out year one. As you put the book on year one, can you close it out with a W? Can you go seven and six? We need more hardware in the trophy case. Can you take that hardware back down 77 into our operations building and take that momentum into recruiting in January, close it out in February with the transfer portal, and hit year two running if you're Shane Beamer? That's what you got to do. We'll talk a little bit more about the bowl game as it approaches, but if you're watching this, you don't have anything to do on the 30th, and you're saying, Hmm, what should I do before New Year's? If you're within a three-hour radius, I recommend you going to get you your Duke's Mayo Bowl tickets, sliding up 77, across I-20, whatever you got to do. I don't even know if that's the way to Charlotte outside of 77 when you're coming from Charleston, 2677. Go get you some Mayo Bowl tickets. I love that. My man Fowler, you're right. Me and him used to play baseball together. You beat everybody at their best. You don't want everybody opting out and saying you got to opt out win. Beat them at their best. I love it. Appreciate you chatting in. Anybody else out there watching the live show, shoot a chat in. I know most of you all listen to podcast form the following day, but to catch a live show, shoot some chats, and I'll be loving to talk to you. So we'll talk a little bit more about the bowl game as it gets closer, but in my mind, that's the way you close out this season. You go beat your border rival, who you're absolutely going against and recruiting every single year, you show them that Mac Brown's on his way out and Shane Beamer's on his way in as the king of the Carolinas, and there's no doubt in my mind that that momentum translates into wins on the recruiting front as you close out the second signing day in February. And then the portal, as we all see now, is just as important as signing day is because you could really, really turn your team into a good football program quickly. Quickly. There are some names out there. Speaking of recruiting, there are some names out there right now that are program difference makers if we were able to land them. No doubt in my mind. There is no doubt that the transfer portal and some of the names that I'm hearing could make a difference for our football team. I think a lot of people are pointing at that quarterback position and saying, what are we going to do there? Because I think we got serviceable play from Jason Brown while he was in there. I think a second year from Jason Brown is going to look dang good. And I think any quarterback we bring in, he is going to be right there in the mix to be able to potentially take that challenge on. 
But there are some big-time impact transfers at quarterback this year that keep just flooding the portal. And if you look at names that have gotten in there recently, they have some ties to our program. Indirectly, not the Gamecocks, but our coaching staff. There's a guy at Oklahoma named Spencer Rattler, preseason Heisman Trophy winner. Has a relationship with Beamer at his past at Oklahoma. He's out there. I think that based on what I read earlier, big fan of Gamecock Central and the work that Wes Mitchell, Mike Yuva, and the team does, we had a Zoom call that did go off with Rattler earlier today. So it's not a pipe dream. It's not smoke that's just blowing in the air. Conversations are being had. Now, does that lead to him being a Gamecock? I'm not sure. But I love that our coaches are going after the biggest, after the best. They're not settling. They want more. Spencer Rattler would be a game changer for the Gamecocks. Some people might question, hey, he got beat out by Caleb Williams. Can he really be that good? That guy's a dang good football player. He's a really good quarterback. Caleb Williams is in a he's a phenomenal freshman. He, looking at some of those plays that he made, those weren't freshman plays this year. And I could see how he beat out Rattler. But Rattler's still got the arm. He's still got that dual threat mentality that I don't think – I don't – like we have Dodie as a quarterback, right? But when is the last time that we've had a true dual threat quarterback that can throw it and beat you with the legs? He could be a special quarterback for us. I would put, you know, people always ask, what kind of percentages do you put on something like that? I'd probably put Spencer Rattler at the Gamecocks 25%. I think that we've got a chance. UCLA's out there. You know, you hear, obviously, these Texas schools need to make an impact at quarterback. But I think I'd give it a 25% chance of Rattler. There's another quarterback that entered the portal this week. Max Johnson, Brad Johnson's son. 2,800 yards at LSU this past year, 27 touchdowns, six interceptions, has a younger brother, Jake Johnson, four-star tight end, top 100 player. Jake Johnson decommitted from LSU. Max Johnson entered the portal this week, and there is mutual interest amongst our coaching staff and these guys. Another quarterback that would come in and immediately make this team better. When you're looking at the SEC East right now, it's Georgia and everybody else. Florida, I like their hire. Do I think it's anything special? No, I don't. Missouri, six and six year. Tennessee, I think Tennessee is going to be one to watch out for. Josh Heupel's got them rolling right now in recruiting. He's got a desirable offense to come to. If you're a prospect, Kentucky, solid program. I don't know, looking at the recruiting rankings, I don't think they're bringing in any difference makers, but I think they're always going to be a solid football program under Mark Stoops. I'm surprised, looking back, Mark Stoops' name wasn't mentioned, should be mentioned at LSU, should have been mentioned at Oklahoma. Those are programs that should look at a guy like Mark Stoops and say, look what he did at Kentucky. 
We sure as heck could use that in our program. And then you got Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is just – they're always going to be a bottom feeder. I don't see any reason why Vanderbilt will ever not be number seven in the East until we change probably to pod format, and then they'll be fourth in whatever division they're in there, which is probably the North division of the SEC. If you're looking at that and you're the Gamecocks, you got to love what you saw from Clayton White in our defense – you got to say, wow, hmm, Torian Gray, he made, he took lemons and made lemonade. Our defensive backs, I think it's, I have no problem saying that our defensive backs that came into this season were unknown, simply untested, and they came to play. They performed above expectations. If I was grading all the coaching hires, I think Torian Gray is A-plus in my book. He took a guy at Darius Rush who did not even have a position, who has been back and forth from offense to defense so many times, I couldn't even told you where he was going to be playing until the football season started. And he turned him into not only a serviceable cornerback, but one of the better cornerbacks that I've seen in recent memory as a Gamecock. I'm glad that he's, from all indications, will be coming back next year. Because he's going to form a great tandem with Cam Smith. And the defensive backs that we've got coming in this recruiting class, I think we're up to seven. There's a lot of athletes in there too, so you don't really have specifically what position they might be at, whether it's cornerback or safety. But I think we've got a really good, strong starting cornerback duo in those two. I think you got Marcellus Dial, who came on too as well, played strong. And they're only going to get better with two years, or in year two, of Torian Gray's coaching. Now, Clayton White, you know, there was a reason why he was up there for the Broyles Award, which is one of the top assistant coaches. Robert Griffin III, he came to that Auburn game, and he is still amazed. He's still amazed at what Clayton White was able to do. He gave some show many shout-outs on Twitter. I love seeing these guys with the big platform talking up our coaches Clayton White's a special coach. I'm glad Beamer got him. And I think that the pairing of him, Torian Gray, Lindsey, Mike Peterson, very, very strong defensive staff that in my mind can take that next jump next year and potentially be one of the top four or five defenses in the SEC. Now, on the offensive side of the football, I think there's question marks there. I really do. And you're looking to try and bring a transfer quarterback in, a guy like Max Johnson, a guy like Spencer Rattler. You have to, if you're them, say, I don't know if I saw enough from the offensive side of the football that makes me think I want to put on the garnet and black and that I could potentially set myself up for the next level in that system. That's honest. That's being brutally honest. As prospects are making their decisions, we've got a four-star wide receiver in Antonio Williams out of Dutch Fork. It's coming down to us, Clemson, and Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss is out of it. It's turned into an in-state battle. With Clemson, Tony Elliott on the move. It sounds like they're doing internal promotions. Streeter, potentially offensive coordinator. Their offense 
is more desirable to play in than ours. And if you're an in-state prospect and you're looking at this, you've got two decisions. Do I want to go for the sure thing or do I want to build my own road? Do you want to take the road less traveled? And that's to be in the garnet and black and be a Gamecock at wide receiver. Now, our recent wide receivers who stayed in state have been performing well. Shai Smith, NFL. Brad Edwards, NFL. Debo Samuel, NFL. So you can make your name here in the garnet and black, but it's a road less traveled. Antonio Williams is a big prospect for the Gamecocks. It is going to be one of those big decisions that in the second year of Shane Beamer, it's not going to make or break you, but it would extremely help if you're able to pull an in-state talent like him. And he would be one of those guys that are immediately in the four or five deep at wide receiver. And Justin Stepp has done an amazing job recruiting him. I could see on Twitter the culture aspect of it, the relationship building. That's where he's really focused, and I believe that that's what you have to do in recruiting. You have to build those relationships. You have to trust that your position coach is going to get you where you need to be. And I think that Justin Stepp can do that for Antonio Williams. My only question mark would be, can the offense that Justin Stepp is helping coach up his wide receivers get them to where they want to be? I think that's a valid question. I really do. Looking else on the recruiting front, too, we've talked about the quarterback, so ones to keep an eye on in the transfer portal, Max Johnson, Spencer Rattler. You obviously have got Brandon Davis coming in here, which he was named Delaware Gatorade Player of the Year, four-star quarterback. There's no reason to believe that he cannot develop into, in year two and year three, a potential starting quarterback in the SEC. But if you're Beamer, you need somebody to come in and compete right away. Somebody that can come in year one, compete with Luke Doty, compete with Jason Brown, Colton Gauthier, and then obviously Brandon Davis. You gotta have a you gotta have a quarterback that has SEC or Division I experience. Jason Brown was able to get that these last four or five games. Luke Doty's got about six, seven games under him. But you don't have a quarterback that has played a full FBS season on this roster. And I think that that's when you're looking at the transfer portal and you're saying, I got to come in, I got to bring in competition. And I think that that's why those two names continue to come up at the quarterback position. Do we land them? I think I'd probably give Max Johnson another, I think it's 25%. It looks like he's a dual package with his brother. So, you know, if I'm a Gamecock fan, I'm not getting my hopes up. But you got a freaking chance. And hey, give me a freaking chance all day long with Beamer, with Step, with Eric Kimry. I'll take those guys in the battle any day of the week. So, on the defensive side of the ball, there's a big announcement coming this weekend. Jay Sean Barham, big time linebacker, edge prospect, four star, top 100 guy on rivals. It looks like, and looking at the future cast here, Gamecock Central, 100%. It seems like things are swinging the Gamecock's way. The momentum is building. He would be an immediate game-changing prospect. You come in and you look at our linebacking core next year. It sounds like Sherrod Green will be coming back. You got Kaba who turned it on. But you need some immediate impact players. And I think this is where Barnum comes in and, quite frankly, could be one of those day one starters that you could 
not pencil in, but I think that in due time, he's going to be making a big impact. So if I'm looking and I'm Jay Sean Barnum and I've got Penn State as another school, I think Maryland, and there's one more in there, I'd have to think that Mike Peterson and what I've seen and what he's been able to do with my edge guys, looking at somebody like a J.J. Ingabare who's going to be a top two-round pick, I've seen him be able to develop some guys. DJ Wanham developed him. I am looking at how did the quarterback or how did the coach develop the player, and I think that Mike Peterson would be the best developer for Jay Sean Barnum, and that's why I think he will be a Gamecock. I'm going to pencil him in as a Gamecock unless the McDonald's bag gets dropped his way from Penn State because their defensive coordinator left or a co-coordinator left to go to Virginia Tech. And it sounds like Anthony Poindexter is in the mix to go potentially be the next coach at UVA since the Tony Elliott saga has came to an end there, or it sounds like it has. So those are some names to watch out for. There's a couple more out there, but those are the big ones as of right now. I do want to kind of hit back on this point. And it's going to talk about a little bit about coaching. A lot of you all want to know what's going to happen at offensive coordinator with Marcus Satterfield. I'm going to tell you this. I think based on what I'm hearing, I think there will be a new offensive coordinator that is dialing up the ball plays in 2022 for the Gamecocks. Don't ask me who, don't ask me where, don't ask me when, but I feel my personal opinion, based on what I'm hearing, that there will be a new play caller for the Gamecocks in 2022. Once I know more, once I feel confident in sharing more, saying more, telling more, I'll let you know. But I think we're going to end up finishing up this early recruiting class, getting everybody on board, trying to get through this bowl game, and then you'll have another month and two weeks to run really, really hard at that next signing day. And obviously the transfers can make their decision as quickly as they want or as slow as they want, quite frankly, because there is no – jump to get to the new program. They'd obviously want to get ahead, but I'm telling you this. You're probably not going to get a change before the bowl game, but I think that a potential change after the bowl game could happen. I'll leave it at that. What happens happens, but I think I saw enough to say that that offense that was being ran by Marcus Satterfield is not going to be an offense that's going to be able to compete in the SEC year in and year out for championships. And if I'm Coach Beamer, and knowing what I did in year one, and knowing what's going on around me in the SEC East, knowing what's going on around the SEC in totality, I am going to make the decision that's the best for our program, and I'm going to make a change at the play caller position on the offensive side of the football. I'll leave it at that. 
I know, I know, I know. I'm telling myself in my head right now too, why hasn't it happened quicker? Because that's a lot of you all, as you're listening to this, watching this, saying, why didn't it happen right after the Clemson game? I think there's a, I think there's a right time to do things. I think if you're a first-year head coach, you don't want to be that guy that cuts bait with somebody right at the end of it. That's not how Shane Beamer, he preaches love, he preaches family, he preaches welcome home. I don't think that's that's going against what you're preaching and what you're telling your kids, and there's a reason why I don't think that change has been made. We'll leave it at that. Looking forward, bowl game ahead. This football team, they quite frankly overachieved in year one. Three and a half win over under total for Beamers Gamecocks. Exceeded by two and a half wins. Anybody that put some money on that got that account raised this past week because it did get paid out. So, congrats to the team and congrats to Beamer on a good, solid first regular season. Now let's go cap it off against the Tar Heels in North Carolina, in Charlotte, at the Carolina Panther Stadium on the 30th at 11.30 a.m. Switching over sports. Switching to the hardwood. I'm going to tell you all thank you. Thank you very much because you all have been phenomenal. Partnering with the university to create a CB90 section in 109 is like a dream come true. Something I could have never dreamed of. It's happened and I have seen nothing but success since kicking it off. We're 2-0 since the CB90 section started in 109, beating Georgetown. A game that last Sunday you had to win coming off that loss against Coastal Carolina. But this team, it's a frustrating team to watch at times, but it's a very exciting team to watch at times. We've got some senior-laden guys, some experienced guys like Keyshawn Bryant, like Kuznard, Wildens Levesque, starting to play like senior-laden guys. They played well against Georgetown. But then you've got your transfers. you got your Stevensons. You've got your Reese's. You've got guys, A.J. Wilson. These guys are definitely glue pieces. They're pieces that you put together with your senior-laden guys, right, your juniors and your sophomores, and they're starting to glue together. And then the cherry on top is your Jacoby Wrights and your Devin Carters. Those guys create a fun basketball team to watch. Now we're 5-2 and two right now in non-conference play. People f- literally lost their minds when we lost to Princeton earlier this year. And all I kept saying was, and this is how I keep feeling, 10-3 and three in non-conference play. 10-3 and three in non-conference play. That's how you have to have you have to look at the non-conference like that. There's no doubt in my mind you lose games that you're not supposed to. Every team does. Shoot, Florida this past week lost to a team I don't even know who. It's gonna happen. Ten and three is the number. You gotta get to ten and three. You got Florida State coming up and you got Allen next week. 
And then you got Army the following week. You got to win those three games. The Florida State game is going to be extremely tough. No doubt in my mind. But you win those three games, you get to eight and two, and then you're looking at that Clemson game. Got to get that W. Got to go up to Tater Town and get that W. I love what I'm seeing as the team is starting to pick up the momentum because last Sunday against Georgetown, it was just a fun basketball game to watch. Not because we were winning, because we were playing a fun style of basketball. And so I look forward to watching this basketball team continue to do that as we head into SEC play. So now, looking at the hardwood, looking at the football field, what do those two things need? They need to be groomed. Their fields need to be groomed. The football field needs to be trimmed. The basketball court needs to be shined. And with Manscaped right here in the top corner, that's what it does. Cox by 90 is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best in men's below the waist and their grooming champions. They offer precision engineered tools for your family jewels. I'm sitting right here with the lawnmower 4.0. Listen to this thing. I just hear clean grass cutting. Beautiful field right there with the lawnmower 4.0. And you've got your crop reviver. I've got a girlfriend, so I'm not going to keep talking a little bit more about the crop reviver, but I'll tell you this. It's reviving some things down there. So if you want your cocks to be by 90, then you need to head over to Manscaped. Use the code COXBY90 to get 20% off and free shipping on all orders. And you can thank me later. You don't have to do it in public, but you can shoot me a DM and say, got my Cox by 90, CB90. And I'd love to hear it. So Manscaped is partnered with Cox by 90. We're doing a little run right now. If you all like what you hear here, then trust me to go to Manscaped. Use that code COXBY90. Get you a little something before the holidays for that special someone or for yourself to that special someone. And trust me in knowing it'll be a great decision for you all. We're going on 43 minutes of COXBY90 talking to you all. And I could talk all night because I love talking to the Gamecocks. I love talking to you all. But I'm going to slowly bring the plane into descent as we head towards the landing strip. Don't I'm not playing on words with landing strips and manscapes. Y'all don't even think about that. All right. If you all follow me on social media, Twitter, Cox underscore by underscore 90. If you follow me on Instagram, you have seen the giveaway that's going on right now. If you're watching live, this Ike's Art of DJ Swearinger, original member of the Goon Squad, swag himself, signed it right there, could be yours. This is a free giveaway because I love you all, because I'm thankful for you all, and because I want you all or 
that one lucky person to have the best holiday season. So you ask, how do I win it? You have to go to my post, tag three friends in the comments, like the post, retweet it or share it on your story, and make sure you're following Cox by 90. The giveaway ends Sunday at midnight, and Monday night I'll be giving away that beautiful art right behind me that'll be shipped out to somebody before Christmas. And that could make one of the best Christmas presents you get or somebody else gets. Now, speaking of Christmas today, I dropped a special, special something for you all. 20% off everything on the Cox by 90 website with the code bowlbound because we're going bowling. Shane Beamer likes bowling. CB90 likes bowling. Let's keep the train going. You have till this Sunday at midnight, just like you have with that giveaway, to use the code, and it will be shipped out to you early next week, and you'll receive it before Christmas. If you all don't celebrate Christmas, you'll receive it before the 24th. So go right now. If you're watching Cox by 90, check out the website. We've got amazing hats. We've got amazing koozies, awesome shirts. Whatever you want, we got it. And that plane is getting close to landing. I've had a blast being back here. I wish Sir Big Spur was right here by my side. Unfortunately, he is moving to the City of Dreams from Charleston. So he was unable to be here tonight. But will we, we will be back together here soon. We're like two peas in a pod. We got to be together. So... I'm thankful for you all. I'm thankful for all the support. It's it's really fun to get here after a long day's work, get in front of the mic, and just talk Gamecocks with you all because that's what I love to do. I'm not here to try and conquer the world as it comes to Gamecocks. Some people might call me a Piggly Wiggly bag boy. Some people might say I'm a t-shirt salesman, but little do they know I'm just a die-hard cock. And all I want is for our stadiums to be packed, our arenas to be filled, and I want the Gamecocks in every conversation heard around the world. How about them Gamecocks? That's what I'm here to do. That's what I'm here to teach you all and talk to you all about. So, that being said, thank you so much. I'll be back again soon. And let's shake this place! Woo! Let me down!